Hello and welcome once more to Podcast Maximus. This is Marion Hilditch and this is a very special Podcast Maximus episode which we've been recording in bits and pieces over the last 12 months. We apologize that we haven't actually put it out any sooner but you know life gets in the way sometimes. In it you're going to hear some very special guest appearances and you might even hear yourself, you never know. You're also going to hear myself, Stuart and Tom review the last few issues of the IDW continuity, particularly Optimus Prime and Unicron. And you will be able to tell pretty early on uh, how old some of the things that we're talking about are with people mentioning things that are about to come out, which are now distant past. But anyway, we hope you can still enjoy this episode ahead of TF Nation 2019, so you can have something to look back on and look forward to. And we really hope to see some of you there. We also want to dedicate this episode to a very special friend of the show, Huang. Huang, if you're listening, uh, we're thinking of you. We're sorry you can't make it to TF Nation this year. And we really hope we get to see you again soon. For now, enjoy the podcast. What's your name? Kei Zama. And what is your function? Artist of IDW Transformer Optimus Prime. Do you have a memorable IDW moment? Uh, a panel of uh, kissing Aaron and Asi. Hello, I'm Joe and Jobot935 on Twitter. And what is your function? Mm, cosplayer. <laughs> Uh, what is your most memorable moment out of the whole of IDW? Ooh, I think it was a tie because they're kind of linked together. So it was a, it's kind of a toss-up between the first I Love You between Chrome Dome and Rewind and then their, re- their reunion again in MTE 33 where all the panels were silent. There was no dialogue and then they just sat next to each other. I think I cried for days. What is your name? The Llama Goat. And uh, what is your function? Geek and long-suffering cosplay support. And do you have a more memorable IDW moment? Probably got a couple. The first one is More Than Meets the Eye, Rewind's first death. The end of that issue, was it 16? Yeah, 15, sorry. When that's the first time I ever cried at a Transformers comic, and that shook me. The other one was Megatron's first return. When in uh, what was in disguise as it was at the time, didn't want Megatron to come back. Thought it'd be rubbish, and he was killed—not killed, just shut down instantly. It's like big thing there. Nah, that's what you're thinking, John Barber. Clever. Turned out he's me cleverer than we ever feared. <laughs> podcast maximus this is our after christmas before new year episode in which we are here to discuss the end of the idw continuity and all the big events that unfolded at the end of optimus prime and unicron i am marian hilditch and with me is tom mcnally i am with you and also Stuart webb hello it, it stopped saying that's all being on video is it it's just, just audio. It's not fun. <laughs> Excellent start. <laughs> I'm not sure people want to see what we look like today. 
Oh yes, so Tom could have worn clothes at least. It's it's, it's worth saying that uh, we've all. It's just it's relatively early for this time of year, and uh, a lot of us are still having our morning breakfasts, coffees, and so on. Some of us are not even dressed, but I'm not. I'm not gonna That's say it. who or say what That's what we it. are instead of dressed or. This is for religious reasons. This is a very <laughs> holy time of year. Right, so Tom. Mm. How have you been? Um, I've been okay. I've been okay. You know, I I I was sad that the IDW continuity ended, but um, but then then the world just kept on keeping on, didn't it? Oh, you were uh-huh. a, a big fan of uh, uh, what was going on there at Optimus Prime at the end, weren't you? I was reading all the books. You were reading I was, all the I was, books. I was carrying that weight up on my shoulders. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, I think um, I think there's 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 some there's some real meat there. I'm not entirely sure if if it all got packaged up as well as it could have. I think maybe it was a bit too ambitious. Mm. We uh, we haven't been covering Optimus Prime, and we haven't done uh, an episode about Unicron at all. So is it worth maybe? For people who follow us religiously and rely on us uh, for the news around IDW Comics to do a bit of a how did we get here? Oh, how did we get here? I often wonder. <laughs> do you want to give us a sort of like a recap as to what's been happening in Optimus Prime? Oh, okay, okay, right. Very, you uh, know, top level one. Right, top level, top notch. Um, so... Optimus Prime um, he's been going through some stuff he um, killed a guy <laughs> killed just the one <laughs> he killed a guy that got him thinking um, as it does so he figured um, the best thing to do would be to really lean into this um, this legacy this title uh, this responsibility bestowed upon him and use that um, as you know, use his powers as far ranging as he can push them um, to conquer the earth and um, crush dissent. He, he didn't call it that, did he? He didn't say no. conquering it. He 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 tried to to conquer it in a you know in a nice way. Nobody was particularly fooled by this. And um, it turned out quite badly for him. Mm. And um, at the at the end, he got to um, confront his decisions in uh, several literal forms. And then the, he repeated uh, history a bit there, didn't he? Yes. Yeah. He um, the the themes are very much of cycles of violence um cycles of behavior um how they work on a, on a personal level and how they work on sort of the level of a society um and how you know the best intentions kind of require extreme measures to actually you know uh follow through and how um uh, you can't really do anything without being a fascist. <laughs> well, that's presented as a bad thing, right, Tom? 
It's Matt, like that. that is presented yourself. as maybe a downside of uh, following your dreams and realizing your ideology. That's um, oh, a deep soft going on there. Uh, yeah, it's, it's very ambitious and quite interesting, but um, then also takes a lot of time to set up and execute and sort of relish in a wacky time travel plot. <laughs> yeah, so I was going to say, I've, I've, since we last talked about it, I have actually read the Shockwave Designs your Automot logo <laughs> issue, which I, I'm glad you forewarned me, Tom. I don't know think I could have come to that raw. Uh, especially as it, you don't know when you're reading it, uh, when it is Shockwave, uh, that reveal comes later. So it's literally just a guy walking into a room again. hey guys, I come up with a logo. I'm Tarzan Price. Yeah, we're going to workshop in a bit and uh, put it on posters and stuff. And it's like a, a page or two but, uh, without my foreknowledge would also seem remember, really that random. happened in a, in a time in Cybertron's history where they had no other brands. They had no other iconography, you know, had no products. So did he Marketing design all the other logos invented. as well? Sorry? Did he design all the other logos as well? Did he set up a little factory? Did he have trademarks on all of them? Yeah, I think um, in the background you can see he's got one of them drawing desks, you know, with the with the rulers. Well, well, my, my question for you, the original Tom, graphic designer. Mm. My, my question for you, as the expert on this series, is mm-hmm. in Dark Cybertron, Shockwave is yeah. quite happy to destroy all of the established time. Right. So he's not bothered about protecting timelines or chronology. He'll happily wipe everything out to suit him. So why, when he goes back in time? Does he make all the stuff that has already happened that leads to his ultimate defeat of his big plan happen? Okay. There is a, there is an explanation. Let's go this. back and shoot all the people who've really pissed him off in the head. Um, they're babies. Because he wouldn't care. Uh, he is a different character at this point. <laughs> they say that. They no, make you think of it. He's not that, he's not that guy. <laughs> I'm glad they brought him back then. <laughs> And then at the end, he's sad about how many different characters he's been. But then, is that another reflection on Optimus Prime? Because he's been, he's had a different, he's had a couple of moods, hasn't he? Um, so yeah, yeah, that's 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 acknowledged, and that's that's kind of folded in as part of it. Um, I was very impressed. It's it's you know there's these um, sequences and there's these ideas. Um, that are very impressive and uh, often well executed, but I think they're very often at odds with each other. I don't know if you can do a serious meditation on colonialism and America's role in the world while also having Retgar pitch up to talk about Monopoly. Um, I would yeah. like that to be Arthur's true. Prime was after a monopoly on of uh, yeah, you see, it's all it's subtext. It's there, it's there, um, it's there if you want it. Um, yeah, I don't know if it's if you can talk about you know the legacy of imperialism and kind of make uh, the you know crimes against humanity this sort of um, physical vengeful spirit god thing but then also try and get 
get your culture off the hook for that with a kind of atonement. I don't, I don't know if the climax quite works. Let's get into specifics. Um, uh, because of people like Shockwave um, and people like Alpha Trion, who are both presented as, as quite bad people, um, Cybertron went through a, an empire phase. They they expanded. They um, became quite nakedly expansionist and um, colonialist and set up these colonies, some successfully, some kind of quite a botched job. And a lot of people died um, for not no terribly good reason. And some of those people happened to be quite clever. And so they were able to, uh, one of them was a purple Warcraft man who built a sort of doomsday device that would in millions of years time go and wipe out all the efforts of Transformers colonialism. Which is a cool idea. That's a really neat idea. Um, but then that is resolved. Um, this kind of vengeful spirit of the oppressed is resolved by a kind of atonement, a sort of meeting of minds, um, but then also just kind of holding him down until he blows up. Which is peculiar. If you try and um, if you try and map this metaphor, like if Optimus Prime is white imperialist America. I think that's probably the closest map. I don't think it's a British idea of colonialism, even though it, it, it has some of those flavours. Um, and... no, no, we're talking about Unicorn now rather than Optimus Prime, aren't we? Well, Optimus Prime it's is, all part is, of the is, same is, thing, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Optimus Prime uh, was not those guys. He wasn't the Primes who did the, the nasty, but he willingly took on their mantle and their power so that he could further their goals in a direction he thought was progressive and useful but maybe wasn't and you know that's okay great it's america fine we're good he's a truck man uh he has a peak cap uh he's america we're comfortable there but then the solution that the story presents is that okay america's done all these horrible things to people and they're coming, and your chickens are coming home to roost. Oh no, what do you do? Um, well, there's like this bomb. This is like magic bomb you can use. And in order to use the magic bomb, you have to distract the colonial vengeful spirit long enough. But the distraction is also sincere. The distraction is also, uh, yeah, genuine understanding with a literal hug. And, you know, that's nice. Yeah, we, we should try and, you know, we should not ignore these. Um, crimes and the consequences of uh, our history and we should learn from it and we should confront it and there should be sacrifice with that cool but then um uh you know you've then got these complications that a lot of that that all those crimes were set up by your time traveling friend to you know get at you <laughs> and to try and also help you uh, that doesn't quite mesh. Um, I think the, the thing for me that made it a bit muddled was that uh, Unicron, in carrying out this plot of revenge, almost certainly killed more people than the Transformers ever have, because it was sucking entire solar systems to death. So we're talking billions upon trillions 
in a much shorter space of time as well, like, you know, a, a week of a unicorn happens over or something like that. So it, that doesn't really work as a metaphor for colonialism or for people who are fighting back against colonists are far, far worse, objectively. Yeah, it's 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 very anti-revolutionary um, in a way that's um, kind of staggeringly pro-status quo. <laughs> the whole thing's trying to be how the status quo was constructed by these terrible things. But, like, what, don't fight? Like, if you fight, you're worse? I mean, the whole, the whole complication comes in with, like, what are the Maximals? The Maximals are presented, all the Beast Wars characters, they're fun to draw. You know, they're good. I mean, obviously, dramatically, they are cannon fodder to slow the protagonist down so they can't solve this problem. That's fine. But you try and figure out how do they fit into this metaphor. Well, they serve either Shockwave or the Liege Maximo, who are directly responsible, not just kind of by name and proxy, um, like Optimus Prime is. They're directly responsible for the crimes that Unicron represents. But now they're on Unicron's side. Is that clever? Is that is this about, like... If that just felt to me like Larry Dottillo used to beat up John Barber and steal his lunch money at school, because it was very odd all the Beast Wars stuff. It was like, fuck Beast Wars. They're, they're like, here are all the major Beast Wars characters that everybody loves, and they're going to be mindless villains who will do nothing... And uh, yeah, I think Beast Wars Megatron gets killed by a random member of G.I. Joe. So, oh, Snake Eyes. So, man, that's a random member. Any member of G.I. Joe is a random member of G.I. Joe. <laughs> and I was like, that's, that's like a proper main Transformers character. You brought in just to stand in the background with a couple, a couple of panels and then die really easily. It's a, what, what did Beast Wars do to you, John? Why do you hate it? Yeah, I mean, I don't really mind that so much. I mean, it's kind of distracting, I, I, I guess. Um, but Beast Wars Megatron doesn't mean anything in this story. I um, I appreciate all the big ideas that John Barber tried to bring in together there. Um, before I before I get into this, just to say, I could never really get into Optimus Prime because for the same reasons why I stopped really being as into X robots in disguise when he moved to Earth. Uh, I find John Barber's writing style very difficult uh, and confusing and it doesn't really flow for me and if I want to get into the story I just find the way that he writes. Like, like character interactions are always sort of very artificial uh, to me and um, that has uh, taken away quite a lot of the good things that uh, John Barber's done with his books. But to speak to uh, what you're just talking about now, I think for me, what's going on with Shockwave, um, and I just preface this because that was to say I have not given these books my full attention, uh, so I have to be corrected there, but my impression was uh, what Shockwave was up to was very ultimately personal, and what I am... Um, like I'm sort of reminded of something John Barber said in an interview once, which is people don't become politicians if they want to help people. Um, implying they become politicians because they want the power personally and they want that thing for themselves. Um, so what's going on with Shockwave there and all of that side of things, like to me is one thing, one pot of stuff, even though it does get mixed in with Unicron. 
but what's happening at the heart of unicorn unicorn sorry uh the the guy who's in there who's created this thing who his motives are pure like he's he's fueled by pure hatred and loss and pain uh, and that's his motivation um, and everything else is going on around it and the time travel and all the other machinations that shockwaves going up blah, blah all of that like it's almost yeah it gets mixed in but it's not what that guy is about so I can set the two things separate in my head uh, even though the story gets very confused around them but so is real life, uh, because politics are never that simple, and uh, relationships between countries are never that simple. So you, you could have one country or one individual even somewhere having very pure motives. And when I say pure, I don't mean good. I just mean pure, in the, in the way that Unicron did. His motives were pure. He just wanted to kill everybody. <laughs> you know, he knew why he was doing it. Um, he didn't have all schemes in the background running, you know. Um, so you can have people with really pure motives, and then you can have people around them who make use of those motives and they, you know, get very politically motivated and things get very complex, shall we say. So, like, the state of the world now isn't clean. Uh, you've got, you know, subplots within subplots and you never know who's involved in what and what's going on. And, yeah, is this a good guy? They're sort of a good guy in this sense, but they're actually a really bad guy in that sense and I don't know if I should be on their side or... Who am I backing now? Well, like, what's the best thing to do politically so that we get out of the mess that we're in right now? So in some ways, I think John Barber has reflected that nicely. Uh, life life isn't simple, even though um, our comic books, especially when they are limited runs and we know that they're coming to an end, might be more helpful if they were, so we can actually make more sense of them. <laughs> um, I, 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 yeah, I agree. That's... that's, that's um... Yeah, that totally fits with what's being said. There's one wrinkle to it. We're quite late in the game. And again, I quite I was quite impressed by this. Um, they quite explicitly say that all of Shockwave's machinations and yeah, his his um motivations, his pure um power for its own sake, empire for its own sake, his arrogance is like a you know, he's the evil version of Optimus. Um, and yeah, it seems like that's an attempt to kind of go against all this sort of subtle shape, you know, when you have like, hey, this character is actually the, the, the dark reflection of this character. Yeah, that's, it's like quite an artificial way of trying to simplify all this stuff, which kind of, yeah, works as sort of a churning cauldron. Hey, for, for me, Barber... I'm basically saying I quite enjoyed Unicorn in the end. I think it had some ropey issues in the middle, but I think it ended very well uh, within my sort of managed expectations for it. Uh, but I think, I think he's a writer who what he thinks he's good at and what he's actually good at are actually the same thing. And one of the things he thinks he's good at is long-term Machiavelli villains with layers and plots uh, contrivances, and I don't think going all the way back to sort of the first season of Robots in Disguise, where where Megatron turns up in wilderness and goes, "Ha ha! This is all part of my plan all along, including all the stuff that doesn't actually seem to be helping my plan." And in fact, yeah, but I planned for that. Honest stuff. Uh, none of that has ever worked uh, for me from here with Shockwave mm. and especially Blackrock. Black Rock was oh, a big. Oh God, Blackrock. <laughs> 
There was a man who said a lot to say. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I will give Barber does deserve a lot of credit for ambition and trying new things. I think you know when he sort of um, fumbles on things, they're they're generally out of his comfort zone. Um, though, uh, yeah, I don't think he's ever quite gotten <laughs> the, the long term plotted villain quite right. Um, I mean, I don't know. There's, there's, there's always this kind of conflict between kind of wanting these broad strokes and wanting these these long arcs, but then also being so incredibly fussy and meticulous, even down to you know individual panels. There's very rarely one thing being said in any one panel, um, and yeah, often unnecessary. narration sort of layered over it which doesn't always match up with what's being said and is just sort of there just so it can I don't know sort of hung on things Um, probably because of a different uh, approach he has to James where James is similarly detail oriented and wants a full script while uh, Barber tends to do it the uh, the Marvel way Mm. uh, maybe if he was writing full scripts he'd get more what he would want in each panel, they said he's sort of giving an interpretation of the artist and getting their idea, and then he's having to to sweep background to hear what he wants. Exactly, he's ended up putting in stuff on top of that that he doesn't always really need. Yeah, I think you know what you said about Blackrock. You know, spends a lot of time to say very little. Um, does apply to a lot of the you know actual number of words and text and narration and recaps and things that do go on there um i think it is actually it does coincide uh if i remember correctly barber switched to the marvel style of writing uh, after dark cybertron um i believe uh, and it kind of coincides with when i started finding his writing not as flowy and not as easy to sort of like get behind um, and so there's probably something to what you're saying there in that uh, maybe it's easier for him to write this way, but the result is not. Like if he still feels the need to then go in and add all this extra dialogue in it to get across what he needs to get across, then mm-hmm. um, the result is not perhaps uh, ideal for that style of writing. But if he didn't do that, if he, like if all the, um, all the square boxes were left out, I think the the books would just flow so much better, and they I don't think we'd be missing anything because what's in the square boxes tends to be things that are on the panel anyway, uh. one way or another. Uh, a lot of them are just repetition, and um, like the fact that the characters get reintroduced in every book. Uh. Uh, this is RC. She's a you know crazy warrior woman or whatever it tends to be her introduction. Uh, this is, you know, uh, this is an Optimus Prime, Ottawa leader, blah, blah. Like, I I never really understood why we keep doing that. Like, I get the need to an extent because there's so many characters, uh, towards the end especially, in the Optimus Prime books, that I kind of needed the name tags because the G.I. Joe guys and the government guys and the, who were all these people, honestly. But, like, even giving me their name didn't help me. Like, because I would see them for one panel with a name tag, which would tell me this is a G.I. Joe guy. I'd be like, okay. And then never see them again for the rest of the book. 
that, that was the low point of Unicron for me. There's a scene uh, where they get all the Hasbro shared universe characters in a room together. They, absolutely, they, don't, they, don't, they don't contribute anything to the rest of the story. They all just come sit in a room just so on his big check its continuity, John Marble could go, well, now I've explained where the third Cobra Commander from G.I. Joe went to. He went to sat in this room at the end of Unicron. That's what happened to him. And uh, the second G.I. Joe from uh, Cobra Commander, they, they went to sat in this room as well, Tick. And the first <laughs> Cobra Commander from G.I. Joe went to sat in this room at the end, Tick. Yeah, that's what happened to all three Cobra Commanders, none of whom do anything in the story. I think mean, Destro has two lines in that scene. And Destro somebody... is key to the whole resolution because Destro has repaired Skywarp. He doesn't need to be in it, though, does he? <laughs> this is why I try not to be overcritical because, I mean, you can't really... You can't really, you know, criticize something that you haven't really been paying that much attention to, you know. I, I don't think it's fair to do that. So I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna get into that. But I will say, okay, it, this is something I've come to the conclusion, right? I've come to this conclusion about comic books and the same about long-running TV shows. In that we keep talking about the fact that oh, new readers can't jump in because the plot's too complicated. So I guess Barbara might be trying to mitigate for that, and the fact that some readers may only be buying, you know, one of the books and not the crossovers and so on. But actually, coming into an event or a, a long-running uh, sort of like series or um, storyline in the middle is part of the experience. And that's how we've all gotten into comic books. We've all just picked up a random book where we didn't know where we were, who the characters were, what it was all about, and we just got hooked on it. And eventually we went back and started reading from the beginning. It is an integral part of the comic book experience. <laughs> so to, to try to fix that, like as you go, just feels artificial. It, it, like it doesn't help you. Don't say who people are, just leave them on the page. Let the reader figure it out. Okay, and if they like your book, have confidence in your own writing. If they like your book and they're, if they're intrigued by what they're reading, they'll go back and figure it out. What's your name? My name is Dion, and I'm also known as Knight Ramon. And what is your function? My function used to be toy reviewer before video reviews were uh, the norm. Nowadays, I'm a retired toy reviewer. What is your most memorable moment of the IDW universe? Um, my most memorable moment was when it must have been the first time I read the um, first bit of Chaos Theory, the preview of the two-parter, because I was shocked. It was a three-page preview and it took me a good five minutes to read through it. And I was shocked at how much information was conveyed. And I guess that's what got me um, hooked into James Roberts' writing. I took note of that, and then when I found out that he's doing the main series afterwards, I thought that this could be the beginning of something amazing. So what's your name? Hi, I'm Andy. I'm at Saginga on the Twitter, and I am a rabid Transformers fanboy. Well, and Andy, what's your favourite IDW memory? I think... It would be more than meets the eye, starting, seeing James Roberts' name attached, having read Eugenesis, 
blow, that blowing my mind, going back to all the Marvel UK stuff, then reading Chaos Theory in the, the original uh, IDW run issues 22 and 23, and then thinking, oh, we're going to get more of this stuff, and we've had years and years of this stuff, and it's been... It's been great, and I'm going to miss it terribly. No, it's been, been excellent stuff. James Roberts. What's your name online? Oh, God. Uh, JRoberts332, yeah? Twitter, yeah? Twitter handle. Yeah, that works. And what's your function? Just about still a creator. <laughs> you write some things, right? Yeah, I, I dabble here and there, yeah. yeah. James, what's your most memorable IDW moment? Uh, in the interest of hype, I'm going to say when I handed in the last script to G25. Yeah. <laughs> That's just cheating. Yeah, and other than that, uh, can I say getting getting asked to do the ongoing? Sure. Yeah. That, okay. Well, I think we'll accept that. Thank you very much. Um, I will say, though, that my misgivings about Unicron aside, I did quite enjoy the last episode of Optimus Prime, the last issue. Um, I think that works much better as a kind of mission statement of um, what they were trying to do in these books, which is, you know... Lots of continuity. Patching lots of continuity. (laughs) Um, The old favourite of talking about the importance of stories... And um, trying to grapple, or just you know, grappling with these, um, in, you know, increasingly problematic themes of colonialism and imperialism that are in, you know, which were kind of part of the franchise almost from day one. Um, and just that idea of having a franchise and having this thing that's got all these ideas attached to it and all these weird angles that don't really fit together um by just just acknowledging that just like okay this one character optimus prime has been written by dozens of people he was made as you know as a fictional character was made for this kind of dumb reason and (laughs) uh he the way he has been depicted is as this hero and legend and whatever and like how do we deal with that and you know you just have one character's solution, which is to try and smooth it over as best as she can and draw this narrative that means something to a specific audience, um, even though that's not necessarily true or correct or, um, or, or make sense from point A to point B all the time. But, you know, it's you, you take this grist of history or franchise or or comics or whatever you have and you say okay let's just take something let's take a strand from this and say something about fascism and uh and yeah okay that's what they did that's that works as an issue and it says hey this is what i was trying to do here and here's a sort of curtain call from all those kooky characters that uh, you tolerated tolerated (laughs) um i i want to draw a line between optimus prime and unicron because i think optimus prime i thought was an unsuccessful experiment of a book in my view um 
the art, I think we've we've touched on the art many times, even though we haven't actually specifically reviewed these books. The art was extraordinary. Um, I, I haven't seen a single person say they 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 had any issues with it. Um, in terms of writing, I think it was an unsuccessful experiment. But I want to draw a line between that and Unicorn because actually, when I stopped trying to read them as they were coming out, and I just went, you know what, I'm gonna park Optimus Prime for now and just read Unicorn because these these like chronologically they don't make sense. I'm not sure what's going on anymore. The release schedule had become all messed up. Things were being spoiled in one book that had not happened yet in the other. So I just dumped Optimus Prime. I parked it for a while. And I went and gave Unicron like a read all together. And I loved Unicron, actually, at the end of the day, when I stopped like trying to fit it into what else was going on around it. It's uh it was a very it was an event. It was, you know, people died, things happened, you know, it was very cataclysmic, it was all very heroic and very, you know, urgent and uh, people died in very heroic ways. I felt my my Decepticon bride right here. It was like um, (laughs) the way uh, Sandway went down and Starscream went down. And it was all like, goodness, my God. Um, So, yeah, big kudos for Unicron as a a standalone uh, sort of end of continuity uh, series. Um, If I take it out of everything else that, you know, Barbara was doing. Uh, which uh, I'm not saying everything else he was doing was bad. I'm just saying it, it kind of weighed it down a little bit <laughs> too much. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think uh, it's definitely what would have been better on a, a spontaneous, quick reread uh, than a month at a time. Because uh, I, I certainly think it started strongly and it ended really well, but the middle sank. I think the middle is probably the, had the most of a Hasbro shared universe stuff I didn't really care about in it. But. Uh, uh, I thought my last issue was very good because, as I said, I sort of went into it with marriage. Well, you know, it's Alex Mill art is a big seller, and I think uh, Kay did some of the last issue as well. Uh, so I was going to look great, uh, and it yeah, ended up being a very enjoyable, uh, enjoyable, enjoyable read as well. I liked actually how uh, the, the parallels to the defeat of Jar Primus in Lost Lights, where in both cases it's not about finding a blow everything up, kill everybody way. You have to. Uh, think their way out of it a bit more. I think that was almost certainly a deliberate uh, deliberate touch on Barbara. He still has Unicron blow up at the end because he's going to have a big explosion. <laughs> of course. Uh, yeah, but they've, like, they've had to use, uh, try to not kill all the functionists in Lost Lines in here. It's about finding some empathy with a man with no name. <laughs> and, uh, I thought that worked really well. Uh, uh, that was the intentional bit of symmetry. Uh, liked most of the deaths, uh, but Starscream's not so much because it felt like even the characters were saying that was an out of character thing for Starscream to have done there, which is, is never a good sign that people in the comic are doing that. But, I uh, guess that uh, means Starscream was complicated. <laughs> I think Starscream would have pushed somebody else into doing that. <laughs> every every inter- every panel Starscream was in up to that final moment, I just wanted to slap him. Or rather, I just want to slap Bob because it really was not Starscream's fault <laughs> because all he did in every single panel was whinge about something. It's just, okay, we get it. Like, already move on. Like, we know what this guy, what you're trying to say. You know, you don't have to say it in every single issue, I think. 
Um, so yeah, I, but you know, I'm not disagreeing. It was out of character, but like like Tom says, yeah, Starscream was a comic character, but it wasn't out of character in terms of everything that's been going on in uh, Tolara One and so on. Hello, what's your name? My name's Margaret Scott. And what is your function? I am a writer for IDW Comics. And do you have a favorite moment in IDW Continuity? Yes. Starscream confessing all of his sins at the end of Till All Are One. He only really did it so we could have Starscream be a ghost at the end in a hilarious callback to the cartoon. Oh, that was... I don't, I don't know if that was the intention. It was like... Like, when I saw them together in that issue, I thought, oh, yeah, okay. We, we switched roles. Like, that was almost immediate but uh i don't know did he say he was intentional did he say he was trying to uh, oh I'm, I'm not trying as well starscream dies in the unicorn event and he's hanging about afterwards that's it's been done but uh no i i like that final shot of starscream and bumblebee as well and uh, i was impressed to see people taking it literally and assuming starscream actually was a ghost rather than actually just being in bumblebee's head this time which i think i think that surely that'd be an amazing coincidence if they both really haunted each other. Is he though? Is he actually a ghost? Like, what's the difference? Uh, oh yeah, I, I just assumed it was in Bumblebee's head. He was just imagining it. Uh, this time. But well, some I people mean, took it literally. Unicron did collapse into a black hole. We can have the metaphor of the sun and uh, the black hole. Um, I mean, Unicron's well, got so Sagittarius A-star inside of him. Like, Sagittarius A-star is very large. Um, but anyway, so in I think the way the rules work in this universe, when you get sucked into a black hole, <laughs> no, towards can't... one person <laughs> <laughs> who is Optimus Prime haunting. They they take Barbara has taken quite literally this idea of Hawking radiation, right? Where um, which says that. Well, all it says is that black holes eventually dissolve because um, they retain some mass and some matter inside of them when they suck it into them. And then eventually that sort of evaporates out over time and they lose that mass. So this is taken literally and said that that, that term information is being interpreted as ideas. So when you get sucked into a black hole, you become the idea of what you were you become a sort of either an idea of what you are or like a binary code readout um that sort of idea of what information is and so that can then be transmitted to receiving stations whatever they are so that's why optimus and well, that's why optimus could be resurrected once you got into a black hole and it's why bumblebee was being sort of transmitted as a ghost right those are those that's what's been established are we, are we saying that the best way to die is to get sucked into a black hole because you get to live forever? You get to live forever as an idea. In the head of one other person. Right, because they buried the idea of Optimus Prime at the end, didn't they? So he can't, uh, he's not coming out. So does we're, that like, mean... we're done with this. Thomas Jefferson, he, we, he, you know, did some good, did some bad. I, I'm not having Windblade deliver the speech at my funeral. <laughs> I really like that speech at the funeral. I think that was um, effective. Uh, 
But uh, so does that mean then, Tom, that the, the black hole in Earth orbit nobody seemed worried about isn't actually that much of a problem then? Or? Well, okay, it is established as Sagittarius A star, which I think is something in the region of many millions of solar masses. So black holes are quite small, just as objects, as areas. But it's incredibly dense. So imagine something, you know, a million times heavier than the sun being in orbit around the sun. Um, that may upset things. Oh, it's not but a happy ending, man. <laughs> but also, um, in terms of, well, also we've got ore, we've got the magic gravity ore, which kind of smooths over some stuff, I guess. Um, but also, there's nothing in this universe that says that black holes uh, are large, dense, massive objects that have a gravitational force. So, yeah, thank you, Tom. You've dealt <laughs> with one of my issues with the 2009 Star Trek film as well. So, well done. <laughs> they didn't say it. I mean, they called it a black hole, but they could have meant anything. So, oh, sorry, I'm going to backtrack. Because you had mentioned the art, Alex Mills' yes. art. Um, and I really want to talk about it because I think I like, I love Alex Mills' art, but I love Keizama's art. But I think I've now developed this subconscious, like, emotional bond with Alex Mills' art because of all the years and all the music. So just seeing his art just makes me happy instantly. <laughs> um, so I'm sure this had something to do with like, contributing to uh, my enjoyment of Unicorn. Uh, Unicorn, my God, for the second time today. But, um, I mean, wow, lots of praise. Because uh, this is what Alex enjoys doing, I think. He enjoys this big, huge event, like big panels to draw and big splash pages and all of that. And uh, he really went for it. Um, I think he missed PF Nation this year so he could finish Unicron because um, uh, I, he must have been somewhere near the end by that point. Um, so the issue 5 6, I guess. Um, I mean, this nearly killed him, didn't it? I, I, I'm sure it did. And, uh, you know, I think we've all spoken um, about this before that this is a level of uh, masochism that is very unique to Alex Milne, as far as I can tell. <laughs> Since you're getting paid by the page, presumably, <laughs> giving yourself twice the time everyone else does two or three times to do the page is, is a very special kind of torture. Uh, but it does speak to the fact that Alex really puts his heart and soul into these things and wants to be proud of the, outco the outcome. Uh, I think you should be especially proud of this book. Uh, it, was, it was extraordinary. And um, the name of the colorist escapes me. I think it may have been two different people. Uh, but it was also, I thought the colours were also really good. Um, on Unicron? Yeah. It was David Garcia Cruz. Was it throughout the books? Um, I've just got an issue six here. Okay, I think it switched halfway through, maybe. Okay. Uh, but yeah, I quite enjoy the colours as well. But yeah, all around, uh, huge kudos on this. Uh, it looks like, you know, there was a lot of effort. And I feel, <laughs> in a way, because the cast was so huge as well, I feel like a lot more people were involved in the making of this. <laughs> you know, all the actors <laughs> took part in this. Uh, I, it, it is a absolutely stunning book, you're right, man. I think uh, it, it would have been nice about Alex's health if they'd had it be monthly for massage for rather than try to put out two a month. I think that was never... That was to be really tough on him, especially. But, 
the, the look of it, it's uh, absolutely gorgeous stuff. And I've, I think almost, I mean, I've not done uh, some sort of uh, an, an analysis, but it felt like maybe the narration wasn't as heavy as usual for Barbara either for a lot of it, because uh, you can't really slap narration bubbles over any of this because it's so dense. It's, uh... Nothing Barbara would. <laughs> a lot of characters just, declare what it is they are doing. I wish we'd done that a bit, but there's one character in the middle, uh, or towards the end, it was really pissed off for Optimus Prime. And I hadn't re- read those earlier issues of Optimus Prime at that point, it sort of went into why they're so pissed off. I mean, they're so pissed off because they're a bit of a dick, basically. Oh, are you talking Which, about uh, Slide? Slide, yes. And, uh, oh, my friend died. Hey, four million years of war, mate. Everybody's got dead pals. Get over yourself. But, yeah. uh, it's kind of one of those yeah. things like it was clearly put. It was. It had to be in. There's this. There's a big confrontation between Slide and Optimus Prime that happens in Optimus Prime 24, and um, that's kind of a way to. So Slide sort of defines Optimus Prime as a fascist, um, because of this thought process she's been going through, and that's interesting, but. Yeah, it was very repetitive. You would kind of have a scene where everyone's talking, and then Sly would be like, Ugh! and then in the next issue, the same thing would happen, and that would keep happening because obviously this this conversation, which was quite pivotal, was was being sort of reserved for the moment it had to happen. So, what's your name? Uh, my name is Owen, and my online name is Sci-Fi Dude. And what's your function, Owen? Uh, I'm a fan, definite fan of the Transformers. Do you have a favourite IDW memory? I do. Um, I'm trying. I love all the comedy moments in it, and um, it was when uh, Swerve asks, "Why is this weapon called a chum?" And then in the next panel, he gets his face chummed right off, and uh, just to have that humour coming out of the left field it, it was brilliant brilliant thank you so please tell us what your name is my name is Ryan Frost um, on Twitter I am at the Ryan Frost um, and on TFW 2005 I am Ryan F and what is your function Ryan F um, I'm just a general fan but I have written a book uh, transform and roll out. Um, it's available uh, to pre-order now from telos.co.uk. And what is your most memorable moment of the IDW universe? Yeah, um, I can't recall the exact issue number or or, or the title, but um, it was the one where the protector bots came back to the lost light, and there was a moment where you, where you just realised that they were in a time loop, and it was like a huge like gotcha moment and I, I think I was a bit slow on the uptake because it took me a while to figure it out but uh, yeah I was I was yeah that was a really surprising moment what's your name Aid Carter and what's your function uh, fun is your most memorable moment in the IDW continuity uh, I would reckon it would probably be the Minimus Ambus reveal towards the beginning of uh the final arc of season one of Marvel Meets the Eye. Okay, do you want to talk about that a bit more? Why is this memorable? Uh, 
Um, obviously, having grown up with G1 and the IDW-verse today and everything else, obviously, in no continuity had there ever been, other than Dreamwise, random remembering that there was a white cab in there. Yeah, Magnus was Magnus. So the, the, the sudden reveal that actually there was somebody else in there and it was a totally different character was a massive turning point and to me signified that they were really starting to go in different ways and, and branch out and do things differently. So if it turns as a final issue, do we feel it encapsulates the entire run? Do we feel it was a, a suitable ending? Can we... Because it was meant to be an epilogue. Mm. Um, I, can, I can't help but compare it to the epilogue in Lost Lives. Mm. Um, because they both deal with the two pivotal figures uh, of the war, Megatron and Optimus. Um, both of those figures are dead now. Uh, or put in a box somewhere. Mm. Um and everybody is sort of moving on in or not moving on as it were um i think things are a bit more upbeat in optimus prime than they were at the uh, lost light epilogue saying that though obviously lost light is in the distant future the final final epilogue is supposed to be well ahead of what is going on in the final episode of uh, of optimus prime so maybe things are not quite as cheery uh, in Optimus Prime Land either by that point. Uh, well, Prowl seems to still be in charge, so you know how happy can people be really? <laughs> but he's 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 thought about things. Oh. He has thought about things. Well, he's getting uh, he's he set up his new prisons up, and uh, you know he started his <laughs> control of the new population. He's... Day one, new prison. <laughs> I'm sure Shockwaves would have some scampy things as well. Yeah, I quite liked Shockwaves sort of fizzling out at the end. Um, it felt appropriate. It felt like, um, you know, um, uh, I don't know, Henry Kissinger just sort of muttering at the walls. Uh, if only, if only we could live in that world. Um, yeah, I felt, I, I felt like it was a good wrap up of what. John Barber was saying, along with all the kind of contradictions. The thing which I sort of fixated upon was the sequence with Buzzsaw of him um, uh, killing some poachers. Because I think that 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 sort of that to me is John Barber's whole kind of muddled philosophy. Because you have a character who has, who's, you know, on just in these few short panels, has overwhelming um, force, um, incredible ability to change a situation, but instead um, uses some kind of idea of justice and um, morality to kill poor people. Are they poor people? Are we? They specifically said that they are doing this for money. Uh, that means nothing. Because there's poor people who do yeah. things for money. So. Um, what yeah, world are I, you living in? Well, uh, in the real world, poachers are not. Um, you know, what's, what's it you get about? Oh, I think it's they, about they don't see the true value of ivory. But, you know, at source, you'd sell. Um, an elephant tusk for about 500 pounds like you wouldn't 
it's not. So he should be going after the buyers, is what you're saying? Yeah, or he could have just physically moved them to a different location where they could not do that. I mean, he's already destroyed their van. They're basically dead. Okay. I, okay. <laughs> I, I'm not entirely... Like, I'm not saying he should have killed them. But, you know, I'm not, I did not take that away from that thing. But I can, see the, I can see the point of view. It's a very specific reaction to a very emotional thing, isn't it? Because it's... Um, yeah, he's just... He's picked this cause because that's what, you know, Soundwave would have kind of maybe not wanted, but potentially wanted or... So what we're saying is people are just repeating what they've always done. But I think it's also supposed to be, I think we're supposed to be on Buzzsaw's side here. No, I was as he started going, think of a poor poacher. <laughs> but he, you know, he could have just taken away their guns and he could have resolved that situation non-violently or compassionately. Worked out a new economic structure to give him employment to be more satisfying and... You know, Shockwave but, says it was always about resources. Become their ivory seller. They could, it's, uh, it's, it's all very well, you know, understanding and forgiving your colonial past, but like, okay, people are still poor. Like, we've had this whole comic adventure fantasy series about colonialism without once saying, like, why are people poor? <laughs> That's just... <laughs> like the, the, um, they can't afford their rollers without selling that ivory guitar. They need their third-party roller toys. Oh. It's really difficult to write a book from the point of view of the Empire. Like, all you can do is expose it for, for what it is and hope that the reader draws the wrong conclusions. But it's really difficult to be asking of the reader to follow these characters around for years, idolise them, you know, look up to them, sympathize with them, um, and then say, oh, no, actually, geez, these guys are assholes. I, mm -hmm. I don't want to know any of them. Like, I think it would have been very manipulative on behalf of a writer to turn this around. Um, we, Because these are not characters who think of themselves as evil, mind. Uh, they are just, you know, um, they have always just looked very inwardly. It's a civil war at the end of the day. Uh, they are known throughout the galaxy for just being too wrapped up in their own business to see what kind of havoc they're wrecking everywhere else. Everyone hates them, you know. Um, but that's not how they see themselves. Uh, they see themselves as, you know, the good guys. Both of them do, like the two factions do. And um, one of them very, well, depends on the time in history, the point in history we're looking at. Uh, more recently, the Autobots thinking of themselves as the guys who are trying to stop the bad guys from expanding. Uh, and the Decepticons being the guys who are actively out there to kill people because would reasons, you know, whatever works for each of them at that point. Uh, whilst historically, it's been a bit more of a mixed case, blah, blah, let's not get into the whole thing, but... Yeah, it would be, I mean, I think all you can do as a writer is with the Transformers is to explore these issues and say, oh. uh, you know, a four, a four billion year war is billion, million, what is it? Um, a many, many year war um, where all these things are happening is not as simple as good guys, bad guys. Uh, all these things are in play. It's very complicated. This is who these people are. Up to you to actually decide how you feel about it. 
Um, but it would be very, I think, hypocritical of the writer to suddenly turn around in the writer's voice and be critical of the characters. <laughs> yes, that, 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 that is, um, yeah, yeah. That's, 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 that's a good point. Uh, well, especially as also the comparison is made between the early days of the Decepticons and having to sell drugs to sort of fund their revolutionary activities. Um, I guess, you know, this sort of this comparison between the, the the Optimus Prime R.I.D. book and the More Than Meets the Eye Lost Light book. Um, I guess just comparing their finale is Lost Light was simpler in that it had quite a clear morality um and um and yeah as as many characters as it had um i think those characters were easier to follow i don't know if this is just kind of how we have read them i wonder that because a lot of people say that actually lost light is a complex one and optimus prime is this straightforward one I never found that to be the case, so I wonder oh. if it is just where your preference lies in a way and you know what you've been paying attention to the most. Oh. But a lot of people that I see being critical of Lost Light's complexity and the fact that it has callbacks to things that happened like six years ago um, seem to find Barber easy. So what's your name? I'm Jack Lawrence, J Lawrence underscore art on Twitter. And what is your function? My function is creator. Do you have a favourite moment in IDW continuity? I do. Who else were you expecting? What's your name? Huang. And what is your function? Creative. Okay. And do you have a favourite moment in IDW continuity? If there was one moment it's not really a moment it's a contrast of two uh, places in time or two moments in time of the character and that's Megatron between Transformers 22 Chaos Theory Part 1 and uh, Lost Light 22 um, they're two moments in time that say so much about not just the character but about the struggle to um, achieve more and uh, a better world and I think that's for me that moment of comparison is uh, what sort of strikes me as the most powerful thing that the IDW universe and Transformer fiction has probably done and that's probably a moment that for me is very powerful Chris McFeely both online and in real life no oh. different handles for me and what is your function? um uh archivist maybe <laughs> yes sorry <laughs> Chris what is your most memorable moment out of the whole of the IDW continuity it popped into my mind right away and then I second guessed it but I realised obviously it's got to be Megatron's conversation with Ravage from more than meets the eye because I I did that reading of it and it's been lodged in there ever since is this the first time um, where the Transformers have had to fight uh, an, an end villain that is completely external to them in Optimus, in Unicron. Hmm. The, I it depends what the old uh, 
Uh, what was it called? Uh, it had a terrible name, but I've blocked out. Uh, Devoid. Devoid. You know where I'm coming from, Tom. Devoid. Devoid was completely well, external to them, yeah. Well, we'd all forgotten that, and I feel bad. <laughs> Pretty Devoid. Back I was actually thinking life. of Devoid um, the other day, of how similar Cyclonus turning on Galvatron was to um, Tyrest turning on Adaptus. Um, anyway, um, yeah, Devoid, but yeah, no one liked Devoid. <laughs> Devoid didn't mean anything or uh, didn't do anything. We all, we all like Unicron more. <laughs> yeah, Unicron is something to think about. It's... Megatron got some nice moments there at the end of uh, Chaos, though, didn't he? Yeah, he got to stand up as the Patriot. Yeah. <laughs> That's literally the only thing I, I remember from that whole, that whole story. Uh, the, it comparisons between the two books. What I did find interesting about The Last Optimus Prime, especially the comparison of The Last Ocelite, which did acknowledge the other book by bringing Prowl in and mentioning Windblade and making you know we for safe before the final issue of Unicron had come out. Uh, La- La- Last Optimus Prime doesn't mention any anything to do with the other series at all. And I, presumably because it's what it's. Amy for as a metaphor and a message would kind of fumble if characters were getting so shall we all just move to the other side of the that's just popped up there because there's only about 50 of us left of we all just can't live there Maybe. The, the humans are going to hate us more than ever now we put a black hole in orbit around their planet they're really not going to want to hang about so maybe maybe we should just leave and go live on a nice it's quite nice here um, yeah, especially because there's this um, refugee thread of you know new Transformers being born on Earth, and like that's home. There's a lot of like, oh, Earth isn't a colony; it's our home now. We all have to get along. Um, yeah, they could all just fuck off. <laughs> it's a it's a colony where the, the the home where the colonists have the bigger space guns. So I'm not sure how welcome the Autobots would still really be, even after. There'd be a lot of hatred. <laughs> it is a bit. Cons- it's consistent with how Rodimus is treated at the end of Lost Light, though, by Prowl, isn't it? It's like, yeah, we kind of. Excuse me, we kind of like saved the world a few times. We brought you a new planet. We found you Cyber Utopia. <laughs> we, like, we found a new home. We've done all these things, and Prowl's like, yeah, yeah, whatever. We've got a time traveling briefcase. We can go grab Optimus Five like two seconds before we died and bring it back. At if you want to bring him back, I'm sure you know Brainstorm will come up with something. You know? <laughs> oh, that, that, that was a, a curious thing uh, for me there. But generally, I, I thought uh, Optimus Five Twenty Five again. It felt like a, a bit that rather did raise his game a bit there. Uh, for the end, and it, uh, I liked all the little flashbacks and how they touch on any aspect of continuity that wasn't related to Jay Roberts. Uh, and uh, even some of the, the, the more, uh, like Stephen Birth, Optimus Prime, I would normally have said would be quite a cheesy thing, especially for a little scrounge cameo. I even quite enjoyed that bit. It felt like a nice skip through the years. Well, yeah, it's also like this is RC's telling of what happened, and she's only present for one of these vignettes. Is so, RC now the oldest Cybertronian? 
I guess so, yeah, with the guiding handle dead. Um, she's older than Cyclonus, isn't she? I think, yeah. Yeah. Um, after Trion's dead. All the 13. Oh, Micronius, my, Micro Prime is still out there. Well, I hope First Aid is an RC's doctor, because he's quite bad at noticing the, uh, the terminal signs of old age. Oh, Shockwave's still around. Yeah, and I guess he would be, because he's had double time. Yeah. Cheating. <laughs> okay, so, thoughts. Thoughts on IDW, guys. Thoughts on IDW. How many years was it? Two, 13. 13. Uh, end of 2005 to the end of 2018. Jesus. When did, you, when did you pick up your first IDW book? Transformers, that is. And Infiltration Zero. Yeah, Infiltration Zero. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, straight from Dreamwave into IDW. <laughs> Very excited on the boards. Uh... What is your name? Uh, my name is Ian Tate. I'm known online as Craddock, generally. And what is your function? I'm a fan. I've been a fan since I was tiny, back in the 80s. And, uh, yeah, I, 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 I know a lot about Transformers. I like Transformers. I own too many Transformers. Do you have a favorite moment in the IDW continuity? I do. It's, it's, it's not a story moment. It, it's actually kind of an out-of-universe moment. Back in 2002-ish, during the Dreamwave days, uh, my local comic shop owner, a guy called John Hendrick, uh, kind of showed me this art print this guy had done of the, uh, the Robots in Disguise cast, the, the, the original Robots in Disguise, the anime. And that, that art kind of blew me away, and, and I loved that. And he said, you know, this guy's trying to get a job at, IDW, at, uh, at Dreamwave. Um, and he never did. But then, five or so years later, this, this, this young Irish guy became the first IDW, um, and I'm Irish myself, so yeah, he became the first IDW writer who wasn't Simon Furman, and like, he's still writing today, obviously, Nick Roach, Wreckers. But it, it just, I like the fact, and I'm oddly proud of the fact, that, 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 that yeah, that, that it's an Irish guy who was one of the big mainstays of Transformers fiction today. What's your name? Uh, my name's Jason Wagner, and my handle on Twitter is Jason R. Wagner. And what is your function? Uh, fan, first and foremost, from G1 till now. Do you have a favourite IDW memory? Quite simply, Spotlight Cup. And why is that? It was the essence of the story. It was a really dark, quite terrifying story, realised uh, really beautifully by Nick Roach as one of his first sightings. It was really impressive writing. What's your name? Temple. And what is your function? Uh, I make terrible t-shirts. Do you have a more memorable IDW moment? Cup cigar, or sorry, cigar. Is this a good memory or a bad memory? Yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you. What's your name? My name's Ben, uh, Ben K. Perry on Twitter. And what is your function? Uh, I'm an artist. And do you have a most memorable IDW moment? Uh, my most memorable moment in IDW was when they turned Sunstreaker into a headmaster. 
Is this a good or a bad memory? It's a good one. It was new and different and I liked it. Oh, what did you think when you first read it? See, I, I, I know, uh, as I think we talked about on a podcast once, that uh, a lot of people didn't like how Issue Zero only had the Transformers in its right at the very end. Uh, but I uh, liked the build-up of the uh, start of the human characters across that whole series uh, of escalating uh, the scale of the involved of Transformers in a very similar way that the first three-wave miniseries trying to do, but I think a lot less uh, successfully. So, uh, issue Zero? I was, I was down of Issue Zero, apart from the name Jimmy... Uh, not Jimmy Pink. Hunter Onion. <laughs> Yeah, in the context of things, it was it was Ultimate Transformers. It was like a back to basics reboot, but it's like in the real world, cell phones, things. Um, it's cool. With a nod, nod to Terminator for some reason. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> written by these people who were there the first. Is kind of <laughs> the reason why we're rebooting it. It's 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 interesting actually just to think of Infiltration Zero as that with that as its credo with that as its um, ambition and then and then I've got I've got Unicron number six in front of me and like wow there's these are those are there's, these are very different. <laughs> oh, that's thirteen years of changes in comics for you. I mean I've, I've said before I think what they very much looked into with uh, back half of Rodney's time. Coming up with a very contemporary series of comics, but uh, I, I say infiltration doesn't quite manage that. It is ultimate, but perhaps a slightly past a few years after everybody else has done the ultimate. It's not quite as fresh. Well, more than BTI was very fresh, and I, I hope that's what the uh, reboot does. Which we'll probably talk about our hopes for that in a minute or so, but. Uh, Amazing for me, thinking on it is uh, sort of 30 years the stuff IDW is going to be remembered for. Uh, first continuity, sort of the, the iconic and important stuff, is mostly from the second half. It's, <laughs> it took them seven years to get to the uh, six or seven years to get to the point where they, they really hit their stride. Hmm, I don't know. That's a bit harsh. I think it's just fresher now. Um, I think, well, it did build up. Okay, you know, they learned, they, they, they got better, they, you know, they saw what worked, what didn't work. But I think it is harsh to say that the first sort of seven years were not. No, not, not bad. I'm not saying that wasn't good stuff uh, or even better stuff. But, but, but the stuff that's going to go down as uh, remembered. And the, uh, maybe people say, what should I read from the RDW stuff? What gets thrust at them? It, uh, if somebody were to go to us, uh, who, what should I read from IDW, I would guess the earliest thing an average person would fuss over would be Last Sand of the Wreckers. Which uh, I, I always think is so odd uh, that people say, oh, this is the ultimate Transformers story, the ultimate this, the ultimate that, you know, this is the thing you need to read. And genuinely, so many people have come into the continuity of it. And I always think it's so odd. It's such a niche book. It's so it's the nichest of the niche. Like I, I don't like. Don't you think? But for some reason, it just really, really speaks to people. You know what? You sometimes you never know. 
that rascally Nick Roach. What is your name? Chris Catron. And what is your function? I'm a fan. Do you have a favourite moment in the IDW continuity? Oh, so many. It's definitely the best continuity out there, really. Um, but I really have to kind of pick two. So I have to say that reading Sins of the Wreckers and turning the page and finding Tarantulas as an anatomically correct spider was amazing in a way that can only be amazing for an arachnologist who's also a Transformers fan. Um, and that was really cool. In terms of sort of, I guess, emotional side and building on things, the image that really sticks with me from the IDW community is Megatron lying on Rung's couch um, in his sort of uh, psychiatric capacity talking about how he feels and how working through what he's done um, through the war and I think it's that building on the war, everything that came after the war is what's interesting about it and how people have built on that and moved forward So, okay here we go Tom, without yeah. overthinking it if oh. you had to pick one moment out of your whole IDW continuity experience and this doesn't have to be in the fiction yeah this can be okay. real life this can be anything what would be your most memorable moment out of the whole thing um, oh I've overthought it <laughs> okay just go for it just go for it okay um I think the first double page spread with Thundercracker uh, flying over. I think it's the one time the jets have been drawn in scale with the cars. Um, drawn uh, by EJ Sue, Thundercracker storming over uh, Ratchet and delivering a sonic boom. Uh, I thought that was genuinely exciting. Yeah, I remember that. And I think that comes with a cover of Ratchet running um, in the style of... Which film is it? Um, I want to say North by Northwest. Um, oh, yes, yeah, that's... And then 13 years later, we have that same Thundercracker with an eagle perched on his finger, looking pleased a, a, with himself. About, about to beat... Uh, oh God! See, this is what happens when we do this podca uh, podcast uh, after the entire night shift. Uh, what was the name of that awful, awful writer? Costa, uh, my Costa. Uh, no committal silence there for the two of else. But uh, yeah, he beat my Costa. Well, may have beaten my Costa. Oh, Oscar, for an Oscar. Which, uh, that was the strangest callback in the whole thing because of everybody who worked for IDW, I think Costa. Bertie's Bridges the most successfully. So to get, to get a cheeky little... Uh, your little joke there is all the good writers are dead, and that's why him and Thundercracker are up for this award. There's only millions of people on Earth are rotting to death again. Thanks. Thanks to all this. Which uh, is a cheery ending. No, nobody to write films anymore. Well, we have at least one eagle left. <laughs> Shirt, your most memorable moment out of the whole continuity. Which wasn't Mike Costa getting an Oscar. Oh, damn, I was going to be... Uh, I would say uh, the end of Dying of the Light. 
Uh, I think that is a uh, perfect climax to what may be my favourite story arc of at least that series, if not all of uh, the RDW Transformers comics. Uh, I mean, that's uh, just uh, a perfect issue that we had a, a, a lot of fun uh, talking about on the podcast. Oh, guys, if I were to talk about my favourite non-fiction moments, it would be doing a podcast with you two for the last three years. Aww. Aww. I like doing this podcast with you too, Stuart. Not as much as Thundercracker, though. <laughs> I, don't, I don't do it. If you found out about my podcast, I secretly do with Thundercracker. <laughs> <laughs> Are you winning Oscars with him? Oh, yeah, man. He makes his joke a lot. <laughs> well, I'm back at you there, Marion. Do you know, this is a hard one. I think I have to say, like, even just picking the first thing that comes to mind is hard because so many things, like, come in my head at once. I think it has to be Slaughterhouse. And I think specifically it has to be when we worked out what was happening in Slaughterhouse on the DFW forums uh, because we were, it was just as the the first, the first issue, because it's, it's a three-parter. I don't remember. The first or the second issue had come out and everybody was like, what the hell is going on? It's definitely after they've come in that like they've actually reached the second subtle or maybe the preview was out. And people actually worked it out. They worked out it was a quantum duplicate. But there'd been like a thread of page after page after page. What the hell is going on here? Um, And it was just, it was both the fact that the story was incredible. The art was incredible. uh, It was a genuine mystery. Like what the hell was going on? Uh, And uh, it was that, that kind of sense of fandom. And I know it's one of the things that James Roberts hates that people worked out. But actually, the fact that it was a genuinely good mystery with good clues that you could work out, but not easily, uh, but you could get there and you could figure out what was going on. I think that's what made it perfect for me, because if it was unsolvable, uh, it, it would, you know, if it was a big surprise, it would have just been OK. You know, you would have just been a passive participant. I think when you can be an active participant in the story, that's when the story is really good. And that's why that has stayed with me. And and you were being actively encouraged because just before Solar House was 30 plus one. Yeah, yeah. we didn't crack Rabbit it that early. Um, it was definitely at least one issue after but yeah, the mystery was there, and you were like, "What's going on?" Yeah, yeah, the mystery was there. You're right. From why were the why were half the people disappearing? Mm. Yeah, and you were being very much encouraged to kind of follow along with Nightbeat. Yeah. And I, I think you you were saying there about James Roberts being annoyed people guess this. Uh, I'm pretty sure that was also the first time he got really annoyed at Red Dwarf comparisons being made. That was a, that was a red letter story in many ways. Uh, Demons and Angels, very good episode. <laughs> there was also a bit in, in The Last Human where they come across a um, a star bug. Uh, come on, Tom. Nobody where Evil Lister has, been, has killed, killed everyone. Nobody. Let's go, Raph. Well, that, that's what we think of the past. But we also know something of what's coming in the future. Oh. With uh, 
Just in case people only get their Transformers news from us, uh, they've announced a twice monthly, so we're still getting two issues a month, but just one series now. Uh, issue written by uh, Scot- Scottish author Brian Ruckley and uh, drawn by Angel Hernandez and Ron Joseph, which is going to be pre-war, possibly pre... It's not really clear whether they're going to start off with a distant past again this time, will be a bit more recent. Uh, and it's going to open with a... Uh, a Detective mystery about the first Cybertronian murder. So, what, what do we think about all these uh, these details that we uh, we know already? I don't know any of the creative team. I am interested in finding out more. Um, I I got part of what I wanted. I wanted something that wasn't going to be bang in the war. I wanted something that would have been in a different setting, but possibly on Cybertron pre-war, which seems to be what we've got. I don't even know if we're, we're heading to a war. I presume we are. Um, so, yeah, I, I seem to be getting a lot of what I want. I like a good mystery because I'm a big fan of the sort of shadow play era type stuff. Not, you know, I'm, I'm maybe setting my expectations a bit high, though. Uh, so I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to calm down a little bit and sort of like see, see what we're getting. Because we could be getting something that's a lot more cyberverse than actual, you know, the complexities of sort of like shadow play and what have you. But, uh, yeah, I'm intrigued, is all I can say. Hmm. I'm getting the opposite of what I wanted, um, which was human focus, limited cast, not letting them get off planet. Um, they are doing an anthology issue as well. well they are doing an anthology issue, yeah, that'd be good. So if you buy it, maybe they'll do more. It's My Little Pony and stuff, but... Um, <laughs> But yeah, you pointed out that that's, that follows uncomfortably on the heels of a um, sexual harassment-related departure from IDW. Um. <laughs> accusation, accusation. Nobody, as far as I'm aware, has been. Let's get any lawyers listed. Um, well, we don't. We don't need to worry about you that talk too much. About anybody. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm a bit concerned in that this is a bit too appealing to me. Um. I, I'm doubtful that lightning will strike twice and you've got a sort of more than meets the eye situation where you've got something that appeals very much to me, an old school Transformers fan, but also brings in a new audience. Um, uh, yeah, this, this seems a bit like more of the same. I get the feeling that something that doesn't look like anything to me, but is, is, um, very encouraging to a newer younger audience would probably be better in in the scheme of things but um but yeah i will i I will read this i almost feel like if this turns out to be something that's not for me but is for a younger different audience that that would be okay by me like i'm happy to take a break from transformers comics if it means we pause in fresh blood in a way Stuart. Yeah, well, it's interesting because uh, I'm also not quite guessing what I wanted, which was a younger, more diverse, creative team. Because uh, actually, I'm not sure about the two artists. Uh, I haven't looked, had a chance to look into them yet, but sort of for the writer, they've gone for a 52-year-old white Scottish novelist, which is almost like if you put James Roberts, Nick Branch, and Simon Furman into a blender, that's probably what you can come out with your end. Uh, but yeah, we had, 
especially, especially doing it same time as that they're doing a special saying, look how many women we, we employ. That the new Transformers book doesn't have any women on the creative team is a bit, bit of a shame as well. Uh, then further part of the other books come in as well, and hopefully, because they, they can never do just one, so hopefully they will reflect that a bit better. Uh, I was a bit puzzled uh, by the announcement though, because it sort of undersold uh, the writer because he just mentioned he was a novelist, and I looked at his novels, and I mean, he seems to mainly, it may be the same covers sell though, it seems to be like mainly write stuff that looks like other popular things. Because the covers look like a bit game, there's some of Game of Thrones style covers and some of the Rivers of London style covers and some of the Bird of Cromwell. It feels like he hops about a bit uh, right into order, I suppose, from what publishers might want. Which, again, doesn't mean it's not any good. But I was like, so what, what's a hook that made them go for this guy? And then uh, I found out with somebody on Twitter who researched a bit, a bit more diligence, he's written for IDW before. Uh, he's written a 2018 thing for them a few years ago, and uh, just last year did a Highlander miniseries. And I couldn't understand why this wasn't mentioned in the press release, especially if that was about the time they were to be planning a reboot. So that's presumably the comic that got him a gig as a writer on Transformers. So it seems to have completely vanished into obscurity, this Highlander comic, which again might not be anything to do with its, uh, its quality. Uh, I mean, because it, Highlander apparently has a very difficult license to work with, so maybe they just piss off IDW and they don't like to talk about it anymore. But uh, we live in a world where being a fantasy novelist is is much more respectable um, than uh, <laughs> you know having anything to do with Highlander, which is good. That's a better word. Well, yeah, it's a they wouldn't mention yeah. it to try and shift some more copies. Transformers fans, you know, here's this thing you can try of he's done. That's good. I mean, that, that, that's, that, is, that is an encouraging sign. Fantasy they, experience because I would be somebody maybe sort of newish if they were much younger. Mm. But uh, if you like, you know, is it, but uh, so he's, he's got some experience behind him, even if not a huge amount. And as all the ideas look fine, I mean, there's nothing. There isn't that one big thing that excites me yet, but there's nothing that scares me. Uh, one of the ones I think that says this is a thing that means we could have just done this as a flashback story before the war in our old continuity. And I, I guess the first ever murder thing will be leading towards that, and that'll look more interesting mm. uh, the more we find out. But at the moment, it's... Uh, God. But I was going to say, it's, it's kind of like I have a Bumblebee trailer for, for me before the film. It's like, yep, yeah, it looks fine, but it's not exciting me yet. And I'm hoping as we learn more details over the next uh, couple of months, it'll start exciting me. But so far, nothing really worrying me. Nothing getting me psyched up, though. We should mention there are some familiar names doing covers. Uh, Sarah Peter de Rocher uh, is back. Uh, Gabriel Rodriguez uh, is doing a cover, I believe. Uh, I'm sure I've seen some more, but I can't remember right now. Casey Collar. Oh, Casey, that's great. It's about, I think most of the art we've seen so far has been from uh, familiar faces. I, I, have we actually seen anything from uh, the artist working on the book yet? I'm not entirely sure. I think, I think most of the covers have been people, people we know. And the Prowl has his eye back. About ah, that's what it time. took. It took, a, took reboot. a reboot of the universe to bring back that eyeball. Permanently. Not temporarily. 
speaking of the anthology book, uh, you should mention this is um, this is something I think it's actually uh, put out by Hasbro rather than by I, I mean it's published by them, but it's like a Hasbro production is being I think. Yeah, it's, it's Hasbro in association with IDW or something like that. I'm assuming IDW were distributing it for them. Yeah, um, and it is um, uh, Margaret Scott's got some uh, original uh, fiction in there. Um, so if if you're interested in that, do pick it up. I have to say I was very disappointed in the marketing of this book. Uh, this is a book by uh, female creatives, um, and it is marketed as a book about girls' favorite characters because all the characters in it are girls, uh, which I thought was a huge step backwards to where we've gotten to the past few years. You know, girls don't just want to read about girls. They, that's the whole point, you know. It's, we, we're not a segregated society. It's okay for girls to like boys' characters and for women creatives to write about boy characters and so on. You know, these are all perfectly acceptable things. Uh, so that that bit was, I thought, um, not a good sign. Combined with the fact that the new book is all uh, male creatives, as far as we can tell so far. Tales from uh, the pink shelf. I didn't realise they but. Uh, they confirmed Scott was writing for it because I, I knew she was. Uh, there was a biography thing about her in there, uh, but I, I did a bit. They mentioned who was writing what in it yet. Uh, so if she's doing the Windblade story, that might be uh, nice. I was, I was almost kind of hoping because uh, we know Windblade is in the new continuity, uh, but it would be a new female writer who would write it for the new continuity, and that would then lead into something they would do later on, but uh, I'd be fine with some more Scott as well. That's fine. I think this is independent shit. I don't think it's linked to the to the new story continuity, the anthology book. Um, that is one good thing about the new continuity. It seems the cast is more balanced, so we have more, um, female characters in there as well. Um, so I think we, we definitely have Windblade, as you say, but I think um, Chromie is in there, isn't she? Uh, yeah. there, there is a mix of... Uh, uh, frankly, I just you know can can we can we give uh, women a, a book to write that isn't about a woman as a, as a lead? <laughs> you know, just because Windblade's there, it doesn't mean that a woman has to write her. And yeah. Anyway, let's let's progress a little bit beyond those things, maybe. Yes, well, yeah, if we did that, what would the 52-year-old Scottish fancy writers do, maybe? Yeah, yeah, I'm glad we, I'm glad we found yet another man uh, to give uh, a chance to uh, break into the comic book industry. But, you know, we've got, we've got John Barber there, guys, as an editor, that's, uh, that's hopeful, that bodes well for the future. Got Chris Ryle back. Yeah, funny old <laughs> world. just back into what we were saying earlier. <laughs> so anyway, I, I trust John Barber with uh, with some of these things. Um, so yeah, fingers crossed. Hmm. It, but Barber's not directly editing the books, though, isn't it? It's uh, he's got promotion. No, he's uh, it's, it's uh, mega teams. I think is what Tom likes to call the, the actual editor. And uh, plus, there's Marriott is still around. Still around, still, uh, still tearing up the catwalk. So, uh, I mean, I, I, I've always said I, I've enjoyed Barber's editing 
a lot more than his writing a lot of the time. So I'm, I'm pretty fine with him still being an overall charge and uh, some steady hands to uh, oversee the new talent that we'll, we'll hopefully see emerge over the next few years. Yeah, and hopefully some of it will be female and not, you know, we've now got, we've doubled down on the on the male Transformers editors now. Well, imagine if they got somebody who wasn't British or American as well. Goodness. A French woman. But then, but then how would we explore the themes of colonialism? Yeah, from the point of view of the, of the colonists. <laughs> What other points of view can there be? Ah! Um, yes, yeah, some new new viewpoints would be good in this franchise, I think. I, uh, I mean, if you have people are making this point on uh, Twitter, people were going to be, yeah, but James Roberts is a middle-aged, middle-class, white British guy, and you love all this stuff. I was like, fair enough. I'm not saying uh, the new writing team and our team won't be great and won't do good stuff. But, you know, there are plenty of people who could be just potentially as good if they were given a chance. You never... You can widen in your talent pool that you are, you're searching through can never hurt. Mm. I mean, that's, and that's, also, that's not why James Roberts was good. It wasn't good because he was that guy. No. I thought you were going to say why he was good, Tom. <laughs> That's a secret you're going to keep to yourself. <laughs> um, okay. So that's it. ITW's done now. We are. Um, we hope you've enjoyed this episode. Um, here, talking about... This was a very cheery episode, considering we're talking about the end of the continuity. I think we've all emotionally uh, moved on, maybe. I feel I feel the peak was around yeah. The peak was definitely at, at the last light conclusion and the rest was kind of I've I've been awake since seven pm seven pm yesterday. I don't really know what's going on. It's... You're among friends. <laughs> you're you're well. You're better waits, don't worry. <laughs> um so if you wanna uh, find us online via listeners, you can do so at the TFR website and um uh, fandom and podcast for Podcast Maximus. <clears throat> Excuse me. You can find Podcast Maximus on Facebook and on Twitter. Uh, you can find myself on Twitter under Mortar. Um, you can find Tom under Tarot McNally, I believe, on Twitter. And you can find Stuart under Inflatable Dalek on Twitter. Um, and um, Stuart, I believe people can also uh, find you on the web. I am still doing uh, transformation every week, uh, and I have just finished the British Armada comic, which means for this coming Friday, uh, the first Friday in January 2019, I am on to the comic space around the Michael Bay films, where I there's 75 of them. So that's going to take me well into 2020. Yes, Tom, it that comic ran for seven years. You didn't know that. That's not a fact you'll learn. It's a... Uh, the last 20 order based around Transformers Prime, but uh, there's like 50 Michael Bay issues. And uh, that's going to be a whole, nothing but Bay in your ears for me, and your eyes, and any other sensory organs from uh, this coming Friday. And it's going to be very, very exciting because it, it, there's some very good stuff. 
in there. And I, some of, uh, I would say, Simon Furman's best work in the modern era. So you'll have to wait and see. And uh, Tom, whilst we're waiting to see, is there anything that you're up to these days? There's there's something that I made that might be getting released, but may not. So uh, I'll just say um, I have been involved in a, a spooky horror fiction audio drama uh, anthology called The Other One Percent. Um, and certainly quite a lot of my friends are, are in it regularly. Uh, I wrote an episode, but... Um, I, I, I was told it was going to be out this month, but maybe it isn't. So there's a, a spooky mystery for you to solve. Oh, this is so, so intriguing. <laughs> and this is it. This is the last episode of the year, you guys. 2018 is going away. Oh, it's been a long well, good riddance to 2018. <laughs> I was quite fond of it, personally. Really? Yeah, it was, uh, it was the year that was better than 2017. That's true. That's true. It's low, low bar. It, it was a very low bar. It was the 2016 to 2017, like rock bottom, and then 2018 was was a more hopeful year. I feel like as we're heading towards full on fascism in 2019, that I feel rejuvenated, and I can, I can, I can fight this now. Hmm. We may look back on 2018 as being. <laughs> Never had it so good. <laughs> well, it's been an odd year. Uh, what I want with 2019 is to uh, be able to see Tom McNally in the flesh and touch him at least once, which uh, I haven't managed at all this year. Not once, not once this year. Last time I saw you was Brighton over a year ago, Tom. In 2017. No, that's not true. It was when I didn't make it to London because I overslept. Oh. oh, yes, actually, yes, I have seen you this year, Tom. Yeah, with Ryan. Yeah, oh, well, I remember we've seen Ryan, but... Well, you heard it here first, listeners. Stuart and I did meet. Did we oh. touch? I... Not that time, because there was somebody else present, so we, we tried to keep that secret. Mm. That does mean oh. I haven't seen you, Tom. New Year, we will we will have a podcast Maximus Meet, and I've had a lot of people actually say that they couldn't make it to York, it was a little bit far when we had to meet there. So I did say, when we do have our next podcast Maximus Meet in London, which is where we tend to have them because it's sort of like the central spot for all of us, uh, we might open up the invitation for other people. Yeah, we could have a little podcast Maximus Con. Oh, yeah. Podcon. Podcon. Oh my goodness. Yes. MaxCon. PodMaxCon. PodMaxCon. Yeah, so, yeah, follow us on Twitter and we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll chat about it there, I'm sure. Excellent. Well, that's something to look forward to. Right, well, thank you very much for listening. And Tom, Stuart, would you like to say your goodbyes? I would like to say goodbye. Goodbye. And uh, I would like if anyone could tell me how I'm saying John Senna's name wrong to get in touch. <laughs> Goodbye, everybody. Bye. <laughs>